Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 392. We are waist deep in Geek Week over at the Nerdist channel on YouTube and a lot of channels that came together to create Geek Week programming. Go over to youtube.com slash Nerdist uh, right now to see CM Punk's Grammar Slam, which was essentially a show that uh, we jokingly came up with when he came on the podcast. And then he made it. CM Punk goes through tweets and corrects your awful, awful grammar right now on the Nerdist channel on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash Nerdist uh, and check it out. I'd like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, Adult Swim, new episodes of Children's Hospital with uh, Rob Corddry and NTSF SUV star Paul Shear come out every Thursday night at midnight. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show. If you listen to this podcast, I'm guessing you are probably a big fan of the show because the two Venn diagrams of those audiences are probably almost a solid circle. Uh, so check that out every Thursday at midnight, Adult Swim's Children's Hospital. Thanks to Adult Swim for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. This was recorded uh, during Comic-Con. It was the very last thing that I did at Comic-Con. It was the Sunday. Uh, I did some panels and then uh, drove out to Solano Beach, which is just outside of San Diego, to go to the Belly Up Tavern to record one of my favorite bands, Rogue Wave. Um, I adore Rogue Wave. Asleep at Heaven's Gate uh, is one of my all-time favorite albums. And Descend Like Vultures as well. I would put both of those up in there. Uh, Their new album is called Nightingale Floors. Uh, They happen to be incredibly nice guys. I uh, podcasted Zach uh, and Pat, uh, who's also in the band. So here you go. This is from the Belly Up Tavern in Solano Beach. Our good friends now, Rogue Wave, on the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 392. Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. I got a little something here ready to do a little check for you here, a little sound check. Let's see. Come on, come on, you I like the drilling things in the Matrix, you know, the Sentinel thing. Yes. I want to yell at this thing like, come on, you know, like Louis C.K. It only has to go to outer space and back to space. Oh, here we go. Hi there. My name is Ken Tamplin. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, baby. 
Would you like to have that kind of vocal power, range, clarity, and pitch? Well, you can. Come join me, KenTamplinVocalAcademy.com, and I'll show you how we can do it. Okay. He's so good? pleasant. Yeah. I, I want to learn from him. I've watched some of his videos, and he'll go ch- show you how to sing like Michael Jackson, and you're like... Can you do it? He does it, but he's got this weird thing where he really sticks his tongue out really mm-hmm. far when he does... Can you do it? Can you do it? Sing like no. Michael Jackson? No, I can't. No, sing like Ken? No. No, I can only try to imitate it. I can only wish. I mean, maybe if I go to the Institute... Then maybe learn. we actually learn how to do yeah. that. Yeah, it's not easy. Usually his students are learning like Journey songs. No offense. <laughs> he and I have a bit of a, uh, a disagreement. Di- Wait, okay, so this is... so, so it, And it's been lasting a long time. Welcome to Journey Court, where today <laughs> we're going to solve the ultimate question of... What, I don't know what the Journey issue is, but obviously one of you is on one side, Clearly. one of you is on the other... Clearly. And so I, I kind of want to just think of me as a journey mediator. And we'll okay. take together a journey. Well, should we there's a second to half it. to this. It's journey versus kiss. So <laughs> okay. I'm firmly in the journey camp sure. where journey is superior. They're better songwriters, better songs. Mm-hmm. And he's firmly, uh, firmly in the kiss camp. Mm-hmm. You're and in the I, kiss camp? I think yeah. that's unforgivable and it's caused a lot of debate. We've even taken it to the social media sphere. We took it sphere. to the streets. And I, I, I journey with them. <laughs> the digital there streets. Was some, there was KISS support. but There was some good, I mean, you know, KISS was fun. They, they had <clears throat> some good songs. They're sort of a fun... Cartoonishly Cartoonishly fun. funny. A, mm-hmm. a fun party band. Mm-hmm. They wrote very wholesome lyrics. You're talking about Beth? <laughs> yeah, Beth. The and, uh, um, let's see, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> There's also... Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Beth was Beth, a good one. The, Beth was great, yeah. and they did a good cover, but I, I don't remember what it's called. But Beth was a really <laughs> mm-hmm. nice song, very pretty. It's a road song, you know. A but Beth, song, yeah. Beth isn't faithfully, which is faithfully fucking yeah, amazing the, road song. See, I did feel like we were did already the tipped, that we've tipped the scales. <laughs> we, we've tipped. We've tipped the scales. No, no one else from Journey came out and sang. It was all about Steve Perry. That's true. Peter, was it was Peter Chris, right? Yeah. Peter Chris. He wrote their biggest hits. So I, I know that he would, in the shows, he would walk from behind the drums and be like, look, I do this too. I'm the sensitive cat. And he would yeah. say, I'm the sensitive cat, literally. And he'd sit with a rose and yep. sing Beth. It was so cheesy. Without a shred of irony, which is right. great. Yeah, um, I mean, but, in a get up. You know, yeah. open arms. I mean, I just gotta... I mean, My arms are raised. And, <laughs> well, let me, let me pose this question. Okay. If... If at the height, or actually, okay, not in the height, but if at some point in Kiss's career, if Paul Stanley decided to, uh, you know, get rid of the makeup and walk away from the band, do you think that they could find some young Filipino upstart to front Kiss? I don't think so. I think but Journey... Can. Let's look it up and see if we can find <laughs> oh, man. There's got to be a young man. A young well, Kiss, be. actually, Kiss could just be like the Dread Pirate Roberts and just be handing yeah. around you know, the, makeup really the title like, and the makeup like yeah, forever. That's so that, that's true. There could be uh, there could be another Kiss. Maybe there has been, and we don't know. We it's wouldn't, like Paul McCartney, probably, when he died. When he died, he when he clearly Kiss. died. For some reason, that movie, that, that weird documentary keeps coming up in my Netflix queue. Netflix thinks I want to watch... This guy made a documentary where he claims to have all this evidence and proof that Paul is actually... I think it might be called Paul is Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that Paul did die and that uh, the clues are all there, man, but I haven't, I haven't seen it I yet. I thought you were going to say the, something about the documentary 
Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> no, out, like right after the the, the the I think Destroyer. That was a no. very good documentary well, about no. them. They were replaced by robots, right? Right, and yeah. in an amusement park. That's right. Yeah. Wow, I can see that yeah. happening. Um, but uh, yeah, this this guy is that the, apparently the Paul McCartney that we know is not the actual Paul McCartney. That's just another guy. Well, that's like that George Lucas thing that was going around. Did you see like the fake trailer for a movie of that. George Lucas was kidnapped, uh-huh. and that's what—that's what where it all went wrong. And the Phantom Menace started. That actually was an imposter, George, Lu- George Lucas, who totally changed Star Wars, and that's the reason why everything went awry. Well, and he was trapped, and like they had the same beard, and like the, the same, same guy, neck. did the they same have the weird same neck? neck thing that's happening there? That I don't know why he doesn't have someone He's to advise against. He's it. turning into one of his yeah. own characters. I, I, I like that. That's how passionate Star Wars fans are—that they will actually write fan fiction about the creator himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to sort of, to just because why not? Um, but I have just left Comic-Con. I, I almost pretty much came from my last panel at Comic-Con right to Solano Beach because um, uh, we've never met before, but I am such a huge Roadway fan and have been for years, and I was turned on to you by David Cross in like wow. 2008 maybe. Mm. You guys were playing in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and we were all doing SF Sketchfest. Mm. Yeah. You guys were there. And he was like, "This is fucking. It's a fucking great band." And I started listening right there, and just every song, every album. Just, I'm such a huge fan. Well, I appreciate that, and you know, you'd never know from David Cross if he was a fan of your work. I'm you know, so, you'd never I, be hip to that. Is, is dropped. Is <laughs> but I remember when we did that that tinkle with yeah. them. That was a really fun. That's when we went, we met I'm Eugene uh, Merman. Merman that night. Eugene Merman and and, uh, and uh, Bob. Odenker. Met Bob that had, night too. We had. Uh, Dinner with them afterwards at this the Chinese, Chinese place. Yeah. yeah, I was at one of the other. T- like there was a huge. Group the, of and that was a horrible place. That was, <laughs> it was, it was supposed to be like the best Chinese food. Uh, that I was frightened. <laughs> Eugene was eating something that looked like it was squid-like, but it was it was had tentacles, but it didn't look like it was now, anything when, someone should eat. Tell me if you do this when you're when I'm on the road. I, I, I tend to not eat risky foods in kind of dodgy looking places like because foods are cooked or yeah well just sort of like anything, a food yeah. that I can't really identify when it when the place is kind of like eh, it's a little di- the floors are a little dirty you know just because I'm always terrified that because uh, if you get food poisoning on the road yeah there's really not much you can you have to cancel show the we've experienced that you know on a, our, our last album cycle we were we we're on the road and. Our bass player, our former bass player and keyboard player, they thought it'd be a good idea. Some, we're somewhere in the Midwest, or somewhere we we're on our way to New Orleans, where they decided they would try this all-you-can-eat Chinese food buffet, and it was—it <laughs> it was looked, big. It, red it block had, letters, not China. even all the lights were illuminated. It looked wrong, right. and they're like, "What's the worst that could happen?" <laughs> so, our our bass player got uh, food poisoning, and he was. He was just—he was vomiting, and it was all the things you don't want to happen. He looked—he looked green, and he was in the dressing room. We're like, okay, how do we play tonight? Because you can barely move, you know. Right. And so, uh, our keyboard player just—he's like, actually, that's not realize he was pretty good. He's—he kind of—he said, well, what songs are we gonna do tonight? And he—he kind of looks at the cellist. He's like, all right. Like, all right, what? He's like, I'll do it. And he played bass and keys at the same time. Oh, shit. It was amazing. And then that's when you kicked the other guy out of the band. I know. I was like, I could save a lot of money you here. You could, and he makes bad choices. He I mean, actually, he really... Yeah. He rallied yeah. for the encore because he was like, man, my job's in danger if I don't get this <laughs> he thing. He did. He did the so home speak. run trot, you yeah. know, looking awful, uh, then collapsed I think later. Uh, he probably put a diaper on and came down. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. What you have to do is run a cable all the way to the to the bathroom floor and the toilet, and he can just lie on the ground with headphones and listen and yeah. just play along with you 
guys. Like, yeah. Well, I actually, I injured myself really bad once, and we we had promised to do this compilation recording. I, I slipped a couple of discs in my neck, oh. and I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't move. <clears throat> and so we went, but we had, we felt bad because it was, it was this, some compilation, they'd already booked the time, we promised, and I felt at the time like I had to do it. Yeah. So we, it was in San Francisco, Tiny Telephone, if you know that's it's John Vanderslice's oh, studio. Okay, okay. So it's great. And we go there, and they had to lay ice packs across the floor, and I laid on my back, and he played guitar for me. I couldn't do it. But I got to play the keyboard, but I had to lay on my back to do it, and I play like this, and they had to put the microphone on, you know, like that. And so we, we were able to get it done, but sometimes you just have to. How'd you eat the voice out when you're, when you're compressed on your back like that? I sang really quiet, but it, it worked. It totally worked. It made the song, actually, and his guitar, he plays guitar different than I do. Pat does that, it, so... That's one of those crazy things where if you were like, because first of all, I mean, just talking about Kiss and Journey or whatever, uh, I mean, I think of Journey as more of an 80s band, but they really also were a 70s band as well. They kind of transcend. They kind of transcend space. time and space. Uh, yeah. Steve, Steve Perry is their singer at first, right? Right. Originally. Right. Let's talk about their golden. Okay. Golden. <laughs> where are you going now? Well, I was saying just that period of all the times where it seems like it would be really great to have been in a band, it seems like the 70s, no one, like, People didn't care about. Uh, uh, the, no one was really self-conscious about anything. Mm-hmm. People were uh, fucking everything, doing mm-hmm. every kind of yes. drug. They ruined it for us. They ruined. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, um, their lives. You know, they were basically just had. The, it's like the Joe Wall song. You know, because like, they have this and the supply of money that they don't know where it's coming from. They're probably one eighty-five. That one. I lost my license. Oh, I can't drive. Right. They're they're being funded by their labels. They have no idea how much money they have. They live these quick. That's one of those things where that guy from that 70s band would be like, from now on, man, I got to record all my songs on an ice pack on my back. And then he would the only ever perform yeah. that way ever again. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I've thought about that too. We've, we've come up with ways sometimes to try and reproduce ways where it worked in the past. Like We did one song about insomnia. So the guy we're working with, he told me to... We were at the studio where every room was kind of wired. Mm-hmm. It's where Flaming Lips record. Oh, okay. You know, at the studio, and so he—it's all about insomnia. So he said, um, "I want you to get into the bed that you're sleeping in." And he filled my mouth with cotton balls, and I had to sing it laying down, like I was in bed, unable to sleep. And I'll be damned, it totally worked. I mean, it sounded cool. And we tried. I, then I was like, "All right, let's try the cotton ball thing." Sometimes it really works because you can't enunciate anything, but you get the kind of the roundness of your voice, yeah. and it kind of forces you to just be completely restrained in your singing. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of. But a cool then, thing. did you do a track of consonants over top of that? Yeah. So we took. Then it was like the it was a whisper track, yeah. which we ended up trying. But you know, I, I want to say like this. You will like our penis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you will like our. Penis. You will like our penises. Yeah. You know, they you know the Bing Bong Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Bing Bong Brothers. You will like our penis. Yeah. Uh, what I was gonna say is, um, you know, talking about how times have changed. You know, and I was thinking um, earlier today that we were gonna be doing the podcast with you today, and and I think um, it's interesting because for a lack of you know nerd culture or what what you do and what you're podcast is about and your show and everything and and one thing that i i like about what you do is back in the day when things were popular it was it was like cool to like popular music it was cool to like huge bands and to love them to know everything about them and we've seen a lot of changes in music business obviously but one thing that i find frustrating about today is that it's somehow not cool to like things that are popular it's not cool to like things and worship them and what i like about again for lack of a better word nerd culture is it's 
cool to love a huge thing like Star Wars. It's it's okay to embrace it. It's not, you know, it's there's joy in that. There's so much joy in worshiping things, yeah. you know. And I really I really like that. And I feel like a lot of times there's a in indie rock in our kind of space, sometimes there's kind of a you f- feel like you're you're not on the inside of it and you know you can't know about this and we try to make our stuff a little inclusive so it's kind of closer to nerd culture where it's good to like things and it's great to enjoy them and embrace them yeah you know? and th- so. th- that's an excellent point because I think in the 80s when there was no irony yet mm-hmm. uh, you know things just were what they were mm-hmm. and you could just like something just because not for any ironic reason mm-hmm. like look how fucking ridiculous this thing yeah. and now <laughs> there is that sort of layer in irony it's like the counterculture sort of I think sprang out of the 80s out of the out of the moist loins of the 80s came this sort of you know that this pop culture count, this counter pop culture that um, that and then I think has now become so much of a counterculture that it's almost counter counterculture to to be able to like things again, mm-hmm. unironically and include people and celebrate things and not be ashamed to just like stuff. You people know, are liking Taylor Swift now. Like hipsters are starting to like Taylor Swift, and our guitar player now claims that he likes Katy Perry. Really? Yeah. I mean, he'll tell you. I think I think I think people are coming around on the Miley train. She cut her hair off. She's doing some punk stuff, you know, yeah. singing Jolene. Sound pretty she good. Is? Really? She is. Yeah, she did. She did these backyard yeah. sessions. Um, do you know? Is that the train? That is. Yeah. That's the. Uh, that's the apocalypse, actually. Yeah. The <laughs> is that the train? Thing. You know, I used to live on this street, actually, so I used to hear that train. Are you serious? Yeah. You lived on and right here in Salina Beach. I lived on Cedros on this street. Uh, so yeah. this is a little bit of coming home for you. Yeah, I love coming here because it reminds me of the days when I truly had no responsibilities <laughs> at all. We brewed beer in our garage, got high every day, went to the beach, hung out, played music. No one came. Yep. I played every cl- the Velvet and the, you know the Casbah, every club, and um, yeah. So it's kind of fun to be. So how do you? So uh, well, first off, uh, well I'll get back to my I'll get back to what I was saying in oh. a sec because now you've got me on a whole another thing, which is. This might be a Star Trek reference. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, you're essentially stuck in this kind of beach nexus. You're in this nexus, this ribbon of just pure looped happiness, mm. which seems to be like what you said: brewing beer in the garage, going to the beach, hanging out, doing whatever. So, what was it that eventually made you go? Yeah, I should probably uh, uh, get out of the garage and go do stuff and take some responsibility. Playing in a band, right? Well, no. That honestly, I I, I lived here and um, I felt like. I know I was playing music, but no one, no, you know, no one came to see us play. We played the Del Mar Fair and did did stuff, but there was no, nothing really happening. And the music scene at the time felt very, very small to me, and we weren't really part of it. Yeah. And uh, I decided, hey, uh, I want to go to Europe. So I just packed up. My girlfriend and I just decided to go to Europe until we ran out of money, and uh, and that's we just kind of went for it, and then just ended up. When we ran out of money, realizing that we actually had to earn money again, and so we moved back home with our parents, uh, and then I moved to San Francisco and then got started with my life. So, first of all, how much money and how long did it take to blow through it? Uh, it it took about four months to blow through. Gosh, I don't know. We we were we were really doing the hostels and not spending right. anything, you know. But I, I don't know. It was a while ago. I have to ask. Probably like. Five grand. So you oh, so you lived on five grand for four months. Yeah, that's not bad. It's not bad. But when it was gone, we were like, "What in the hell <laughs> are we, we going do? to do?" We knew we had the money. We already paid for the. That's what we were just talking about. I just, I, we knew we had a plane ticket home, 
and I also could tell it was time to come home because we were hanging out in Paris with my friend and he had a friend there who was a little hard of hearing and was a hairdresser and he said he wanted to do something cool to my head, like an idea he wanted to do. And so I said, all right, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Okay. And, and, um, and so he, he started doing some cutting and I was, I had, we were drinking wine and I was sort of paying attention while, but it was very social. And he, he, at some point there was tinfoil and I didn't know what that was for. And then, uh, and after he was, and he was cutting and doing things. And, um, after a while it really started to hurt. It's like this burning uh, sensation and then he finally took it off and he's like well what do you think you know and clearly when I was saying I did, what I wanted that wasn't getting through I, I think he couldn't hear me and I didn't know what he was saying so I he took it off and all along the bottom of my hair was shaved and the top kind of went it almost like a nipple like like a, a like a it was like a sprout <laughs> like a, a hair like nipple a, kind of yeah it was like angled it was like a point like uh like tin tin or mm-hmm. something yep. and it was completely white Oh. So he bleached it completely white at an angle. It was like it was like a finger pointing in one direction, oh. and that was my hair. And Did you end and up so I knew. Like this? Yeah, it looks so <laughs> so strange. Did you shave it all off after that. Well, I didn't want to insult him, oh. uh, so I when I waited till I got back to the states, wanted to freak out my parents first. Yeah. Like, you know, and uh, they said, "My God, what have you done? I've changed yeah. Europe." Yeah, and so uh, and then and then I I you know, but it had to wait till it grew out because it was. Completely bleached, like you a should shock have a white. special hat that went over the I, nipple. Yeah, I look like, yeah, like I look like this powder. is why I have this. It's like that that character in Oz. That, yeah, with the little hat, hat that would just that would there. some yeah. magically stay on. He was Mr. Echo, right? Yeah, unlost, unlost. Yeah. Did uh, so? Did, did I read that you first were, were you a victim of the dot com? If you were in, if yeah. you were in, uh, if you were up in, in Northern California, there was a very good chance that you worked somewhere in or near the tech sector. Yeah, I mean. It was easy to get a job. You know, everyone I knew was doing it, and we were getting paid more than we should have to, you know. It was a lot of hard work. I was there kind of all the time. To do what? And where was it? It was, I was was in San Francisco at this, it was like a a web development company, so we built software and, you know, front-end web design stuff, and Mm -hmm. a bunch of different, did a lot of stuff. Um, But I was just a project manager, project manager. Yeah. And so I basically, I had to tell the designers, you know, when they were, you know, I need them to get their stuff done, and I tell the engineers, and I need to make sure everything was integrated properly, and meet with clients, you know, and tell them. And when they'd say stuff like, "Yeah, we want to make, we, we we do cosmetics, we want to be able to smell," so like, "Okay, well, you can't do that yet." Can we smell our website? We yeah, that doesn't work yet. Why can't we smell our website? Yeah, that was a, no. Scott really asked that. They culture. they yeah. said they wanted to be able to have that technology, and like, well, we. That doesn't exist yet, you know that kind of stuff, and we're getting it done. And That's so, yeah, a serious request, or they were like, "I want when you see this to visualize a scent." Or they really wanted. And they to wanted to literally have it be where you could smell. They literally their, shit their pants. <laughs> they literally <laughs> shit their pants. Um, I didn't shit my pants. I That's the funny thing, you know. We've been playing music for a long time together, and we because of the out. Actually, we were talking about if we spent more time with our significant others then with each other you know over the years who spend more hours together and but we do i think like most bands we we just speaking sometimes we'll go great lengths only speaking in quote you know and it's you don't even really realize you're doing it sometimes it's totally if someone were to sit there and listen to our it would make no sense we're like going from the frogs to i have to apologize to my lady every time i come home i'm sorry hon 
this is just a new phase in, in communication with the band. And oh, it's band talk again, is yeah. it? Sorry, it's inside yeah. stuff. It'll it'll go away. It'll it'll diffuse and it'll go away. I don't yeah. think there's any question that you probably spend just as much, if not more, time with. I mean, because it's sort of. Uh, you know, you're on the road and you're you're kind of in the trenches and you're going to venues and shit's not right and you got to figure out how to make it work and you're going through stuff together and in the early days we yeah. shared a room like we just had the four of us and in a van and we'd share a room or a, or a living room in someone's house. I mean, we li- or really a did crack not... den in Jackson, Mississippi. That was definitely did that happen? That yeah. was definitely that yeah. was a crack flop house. There. I did, and I, I could first I'm like, gosh, <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll stay there. Thank you so much. I've never been to Jackson, Mississippi. No, that was St. Louis, I thought. No, this was Jackson. I remember it was that dude who had, had well, I don't want to, but he had that cafe that he was a somehow some kind of chef. But oh, yeah, come right. stay. We got plenty that. of beds. Cool. Why are there so many beds on the we floor? They're just mattresses. Yeah, mattresses. Oh, People come in and out, and it, it was such the crack the on holidays. Like, yeah, that was that was really gross. But at the time, that. I mean, there was no money to. We had, you know, if we could stay for free somewhere, we would. You know? But you, but so, uh, was your company a casualty of? Oh, of Doc. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was doing that, and uh, and yeah, our company got bought by a larger. Webster, because there was all this consolidation that was happening sure. because the bubble had burst and we weren't getting enough new business. So the CEO, the executives wanted to sell because there wasn't enough revenue coming in because they kept growing and we'd get another floor in the building, you know, get bigger and bigger. And I remember at one time I knew the jig was up because I went onto one of the floors that they decided they decided to consolidate floors to make better shit. And I, I went on to the floor and it was basically just a sea of Herman Miller chairs. Oh, no. Just like 200 <laughs> black, you know, the Aeron black yeah, yeah. ergonomic chairs, just an ocean of, of black chairs. I was like, okay, things are going to change soon. So they, they sold it and they they let go probably like 95% of the staff and kept like the executives so they could, could have fly their golden parachutes else, yeah. down to the ground. <laughs> and so at that point I was, and that's really what changed my life because I... I've been so it, it was such an intense work environment. I had to I was working sometimes like 80 hours a week. Yeah, but and when you have I was, a bar and a restaurant in the um, We had a cafe. Floor. Yes, you we did. You could have your free um espresso and chocolate croissant Man, and Red the, Bull at the same the, time. The the, the, the dot com companies morphed into something else, but I think it's still very similar, but there are you know, maybe there's social media companies now, but there are people and companies who essentially just raise like 100 million dollars blow through it as fast as possible and then raise another hundred million dollars for some other company and so and it's okay <laughs> that's what I know. they do it's like it's it is so weird. It's rewarding failure it's it, like it's, it's you so lost weird. how much money we could use something in like that here Come yeah join us it, yeah it's crazy same with a lot of politicians you know like they completely do something whether it's a scandal or something but there's somehow it'll morph and just rise again yeah. it's almost like they're like yeah I guess it's a whole separate mentality, a whole separate business of just like, no, 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 we just raise money and spend it and go somewhere else, which is very hard for me to, to wrap my mind around because I think, well, don't, you know, are you supposed to make something or do you have to create? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like every everything that they do is all on paper. It looks very good, but there's really nothing going on. But everyone has a personal masseuse and, you know, they have a private chef and, you know, he's making crepes and then it's like... Why don't we have... Yeah, why don't we... We need a crepe maker in the van. We need a crepe chef. Yeah, I know. That's the, you know, tour manager, crepe chef. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, but, you know, I, I will say the thing that went once 
I did lose my job uh, because everyone did. And, you know, I started just playing music or I didn't really, I was recording music. Mm. Um, and I, I basically, I had nothing, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was recording demos because I was like, gosh, I got, I got to get a job. And I just record all these demos. And I knew this guy who had just finished engineering school in Florida, full sale. It's like a recording mm-hmm. uh, school. And I just sent it to him, you know, like, hey, I was working on it. Because I'd never recorded my own songs, really. And he liked them. And he said, hey, I work at the studio in New York, like upstate New York in Woodstock. Just we'll make these demos. Like, let's make real demos. And I said, well, let me look at my calendar. Nothing. So, um, <laughs> Oh, and, I've lost everything. Sure. Yeah, I have no job. Okay. And so I just booked a one-way ticket and flew to New York. I didn't even really know him. And we just recorded this stuff and just completely on the fly. I didn't know. I had never really even recorded, really. And I, I had stuff on the guitar, but we just plug in, in, you know, electric guitars, bass, whatever, organs, pianos, and I just do it. It was all on the fly. And that became that was the first Rogue Wave album. And so I just came home and, and, and I realized looking at, you know, corporate structure and how things kind of work, the thing that drew me to, other than I really liked playing music with, with Pat, um, I liked not having that imbalance of, you know, of some CEO at the top kind of pulling the strings. And, I, you know, we're beholden to an industry, which I understand, but... I liked just not living on those terms. Well, know? yeah, I mean, there's something about, I think, uh, you know, you can cut, you can put people into two spheres, which is people who like um, when other people, you know, who they're basically responsible for other people and then people who are responsible for themselves. You know what I mean? And when, so when you guys, when you do this and you set off and you make your own stuff and you're a band and you're on the road and you're sort of figuring it out yourself or a comedian or whatever, you, you're responsible. So... I kind of like that it that even the fuck ups you still get to take responsibility over as opposed to having a CEO who's telling you like do this and you know it's wrong but you do it anyway and you're like fuck not only am I fucking up but it's not even my fuck up mm-hmm. that I can't even take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun to so I think that's I think that's kind of the fun part of it is being able to take responsibility for everything. Yeah, it's totally on us and I've re- anytime we figured out how to do things in a smart way, it's always been by fucking up first. <laughs> you have to. Always. And it, I look back and I think of all the ridiculous stuff we did and we started, you know, and and, um, and it's always been, it's always through making a mistake first. And, and I there's something nice about that. And um, I, I guess that's why we keep doing it. You really got into the, you sort of, it's, it's interesting that you came out of the dot-com business and then you entered the music business right as it was starting to get weird. Like, that was the sweet spot of when the music business started to... I mean, I know it really, like, around 2000, 2001, 2002, um, you know, Napster and uh, LimeWire and all this. But then, you know, 2003, 2004, it just, that's when everything started, where the music business was like, we're powerful. Wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, the building's shaking. Yeah. We weird need was to sue nice, as many people as possible. Word. That was a kind word. <laughs> he said the music industry got weird, which is a very nice way. <laughs> well, it's always been weird. It got, um, uh, I think... Extraordinarily weird. Extraordinarily weird or unstable in a way that it was not prepared for. Yeah. But before it got to the point it is now, there was a, a moment in time, a brief, brief moment in time, when... Um, a lot of bands like ours you know were um able to license music uh and have it be you know 
good where we could really help fund what we were doing. You know, and that still totally exists, but now it's become totally dominated by that. But that's the only way bands make money. You know, but there was that kind of era where we were kind of getting an ability. And not, we didn't care about, you know, it, it wasn't just to make money, but it was like a means to an end. Like we could have this revenue come in. We could actually keep the ball yeah. rolling and invest in what we do. And it used to be gear. called selling out. Yeah, but <laughs> now it's but, called smart business decisions. But to us, it wasn't because you know how else can you have the money to, you know, uh, you could do great in Chicago one night, but you could go, you could be having a horrible night in Toronto or or, or Iowa City, yeah. and if you want to keep the train running, the bus or the van, whatever, you need to have the revenue going all the time. I think you know? people understand that now more than maybe they used to, and that you can say to them like, "Look, this is you know, this is so that we can." be able to create more stuff or be able to tour more because right? it is a the touring business is a pain it, it's hard enough just as a comic to tour and then we would we toured the podcast a bit and it it would seem like we you know like oh my god we're making shit tons of money but what i think people don't really understand is that when you jump venue size it your uh your overhead costs immediately exponentially grow and it's like oh yeah you have to make you know $15,000 just to turn the lights on yeah. for one show and then you know you start lumping in all these costs and oh you want a projection screen for something well that's a thousand dollars you know it's like they start kind of piling all these costs and there's nothing you can do about it because it's you know that's just the way the business works and then people complain about you know um, ticket service fees and you're like I know but they work with the promoters and there's no other way for us to, like it gets really it gets really dicey cause yeah you, you can't carry all the insurance yourself and you know or other yeah. fees you know the reason why merchandise costs more and more in larger venues is because the venue takes such a huge percentage like a 30, of like merch. 30% yeah, of it so if you want to even just cover your cost you have to or there's a lot of things you know in our business yeah let's say you make twenty thousand dollars you know at for some event well you got to think of all the deductions that taken out before we get anything you know your management takes 15 your booking takes 15 your lawyer takes five percent your business manager takes five percent all these deductions happen and then you get taxed 50 percent right so when it comes down you're like why do I have five hundred dollars? You're like, wow, that's such a twenty thousand. That's nice. Yeah, that sounds that's, awesome. That, that yeah, rent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, if it's you're yeah. lucky. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess yeah. I guess my point is not that because obviously we're lucky to do what we do and, and actually you know not take a loss, which we did for a long time. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just. It's not. I'm, my point is that it's not quite the way it looks. Like, oh, you're playing a huge venue. You must be killing it. Like, yeah. oh, I know, but it's we're kind of just breaking even because it's expensive, more, to, more expensive. To, to do this. Yeah. So uh, I got to ask you, how do you like doing the TV show? What? Which one? The, the Talking the nurse, Dead. The, nurse, oh, the nurse yeah, TV yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Talking Dead too, of course. But the new, the new. It's well, um, the nurse TV show has been amazing uh, because it, it really, I think, was. Um, kind of the soul of what the podcast was and at least we kind of found that groove in the most recent season the people that agreed to do the show were inc- insane that we got these guests like you know uh, Guillermo del Toro and Seth Rogen and and it just it was a crazy it's been crazy fun and Talking Dead is that's just a that was just a happy accident that you know I whoever would have thought that it's a, genius. I said after show, and now we're going to do one for Breaking Bad so for the final eight oh, episodes really? of Breaking Bad. Oh, to be a little bit more of like a retrospective rather mm-hmm. than um, each episode wrap up, but a little bit of that, but also a retrospective, um, just to sort of 
give people a little behind the scenes look, you know, through the season. But it's you know, I don't Great know. It's, I just left Comic Con, and the shit that I get to do is silly. That I that I'm allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Don't you ever feel like I don't know? Doesn't ever feel like when you're kind of in a groove and you get to do these really silly, awesome things that you, that someone's just gonna go. Oh yeah, you're not I'm supposed to do this. You always feel like the guy at the party that security's gonna go. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, fuck, what the fuck you doing in yeah. here? No, I thought I was my friend. No, sorry, bro. Yeah, I. You know when actually when we started, I remember when we started playing as a band. We had we started doing okay in the Bay Area, getting you know people to come see us. You know, not just our friends. You know, and then before we knew it, we were signed to Sub Pop and we were going out with the Shins. And to to me. You know, I never even thought about having... I never thought that I'd ever put records out. You know, it was so beyond anything I could comprehend. I didn't feel really worthy of it. I didn't think I had the ability in any way. So when we... It was just such a shock going out because I, I loved the Shins, you know, and they had such a massive following to just tour. I, we hadn't, I hadn't really been on tour before, you know, and so I did feel like I was living this parallel life that suddenly some had been like swapped you know and it was a, it was a really strange experience for me and it was really at the beginning of what we were doing but I did have that feeling of like someone's gonna say the jig is up at some point say okay alright the real van that's coming yeah, they're here yeah. now can you guys drive home here's, we when, were, here's, when, here's when it really hit home we were playing these great places with the shins sold out and playing in front of a very enthusiastic crowd and then on the way home we stopped at a couple of places in Headland and there was no one there. You're like, okay, we don't. We have a lot of work to do because we hadn't we released anything yet. Like, we didn't even have an album out yet. Yeah, yeah. We were feeling so good about ourselves, doing yeah. all these great shows. And we played to the sound engineer in and, and Salt Lake door, City, and then the bartender, <laughs> sound engineer, and the door guy in Salt Lake yeah, City. Yeah, was very. I went on. I, I did a tour like that with um, my friend Mike Furman. We had this musical comedy duo, and and then our friend Reggie Watts, who Reggie's doing mm-hmm. really well now. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, whatever it was, eight years ago maybe, or six, seven years ago, we we did this tour all the Pacific Northwest in San Francisco, and we were playing to, like, the staff and maybe, like, eight or nine people. But it was still... It's not that I would want to do that forever, but it was, it was really kind of fun at the time because it really makes you... It makes you focus. It really tests whether or not you care about what you're doing because right. if you really care about what you're doing... That doesn't matter. You might get a little frustrated and go, fuck, I wish there were more people here. But it, it should make you work harder. Mm-hmm. Well, we always used to just go to the practice space because we just loved playing. And that, those, those shows are a continuation of that. You, you're just in a, on a different setting practicing, and there might be a person there. But we still always just like playing to our, for ourselves and to ourselves. But, so when was yeah. the point that it started to that you started showing up to venues and there were people there and you got to be like, was someone else playing? Oh shit, they're here for us. Yeah, uh, gosh. Well, well, we we were asked. <laughs> no, we were um, our friend, uh, our former guitar player. He was friends with the guys in Spoon. Mm-hmm. He'd kind of known them from growing up. Brit? He knew Brit. Yeah, yeah, he knew Brit especially. And, uh, and so, I don't know how he finagled it, but he somehow got us on the bill to be the first of three in San Francisco when they were uh, when they were playing the Fillmore. And so, I certainly had never played the Fillmore before. I mean, couldn't believe it. So, we were first of three, and, and um, rarely, I, I found, it shows the Fillmore, do, does, is it kind of a packed house when the first of three, it's kind of people trickle in, you yeah. know? But something cosmically strange happened that night where it was completely packed with so much energy and we went on and I'd say probably 
99% of the people probably had never heard of us before. But I, of course, invited like my whole family. Right? Sure. And um, there's more than one percent of that audience was family of yours. You have a big family. <laughs> I do. I do have a big family. But it was it was one of those nights where we we just came into our own. Where we rec- recorded it. We um, when when we were done, the the screaming and the cheering was just unlike. Some of the be- could have been the best show we ever had. It was just this thing where it felt like we were something real. Like we were a real band. And before we were just like practicing, playing little clubs and stuff like that. Um, but it, it felt like something crystallized, and everyone in the room seemed to feel. It. And we were just like hugging each other because it felt like in my dreams I couldn't have ever had people care about music yeah. that that came from anything that I was doing. People out, and so and I go upstairs. My family is sobbing, you know, sobbing. They couldn't believe it. It was just it was clear. And so after that moment. Um, we started having people show up and we played in clubs and we we're selling out and whenever we played it was it was uh, locally um, became a bigger deal I remember us, when we know? got that first explosion of crowd I was just at, uh, sitting at the drums I had just put my head down and I was just like kind of like had this like shocked look and I was looking over at Graham and it's just kind of like what the Oh, like, yeah. I mean, I can still feel that. It's like, it was an intense. Then, of course, what happens is they immediately go, how the fuck do we do that again? Yeah. yeah. How do we well, do that again? You know, you yeah. know what happened? We started playing faster and more sloppy because yeah. our excitement level just went right through the roof and we were just like <laughs> going yeah. for it. It was funny. Because, you know, I think something happens when you get out of a, a real small club and you go to a bigger room, like you can fit about a thousand people in the Fillmore. And when there's that moment where you're standing, if you're standing in the middle of the stage, and it's kind of like your complete peripheral vision, where it's anywhere you look really straight ahead is an audience, mm-hmm. and they have all that energy coming back at you, and you really start expressing yourselves as a band, something, there's this magical alchemy that, that I was feeling where I, 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 it could feel like a fully realized show, not just a club show, but it was something bigger than that. And then I... As the train rolled as by, the train rolls by. <laughs> I uh, I don't know I, I realized that it's it's what I wanted in my life you know I wanted that energy and not not people thinking we're so great nothing like that it, no like ego thing it was more the the feeling you get when you know it only happens that night you know that that magic in the air when you feel like you know all the mistakes we made if I fell down or we did something whatever That's it was sure. it, it was this 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 feeling of um, that I got when I was a kid, you know, when I'd go see bands, you know, and and uh, and so I realized I wanted to be part of it. I think you just you just pointed out something that I never actually realized that I I think one of the reasons why I like your music is that there is, there isn't any ego to the songs. It's just sort of like you're just kind of presenting these ideas. Like well, here they are. Here these are these ideas. I hope you like them. Like they're they're very there's something very sweet and sincere and genuine about the song. I mean besides the fact that they're super catchy in the best way. Like it, you I asked cuz you we you played a couple songs for us to put at the end of the podcast and one of the first things I was like, "Will they play Lake Michigan?" which is one of my favorite favorite songs of all time. Thank you. I don't know what the song is about. I've read the lyrics online along, you know, I've read along with it. I've 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 braved the pop-up ads that come from the lyric reading websites. Um, so, you know, I'm familiar with the lyrics, but I don't know exactly what the song's about. Mm. Well, you know what's funny about that song? They asked us if they could use it for the show Dancing with the Stars. Uh-huh. And so I I hadn't really seen that show before. So I'm like, yeah, it's a bunch of, they're going to play it while they're dancing. Uh, that's fine. 
And I didn't realize that there's a band that plays the song. It's not just like recorded music. Oh, yeah. And so I'm watching this because uh, it happened. I didn't know it had, it had aired. So someone <laughs> sent me a YouTube clip, a uh, YouTube video, you know, and I, I'm watching it. And I'm just thinking to myself, what were these people thinking in their minds while they're trying to sing these lyrics really fast? Like, I'm thinking, what are these assholes singing about? What is this music? And it was so robotic. They sang it in such like an operatic kind of way. It was, it was so funny. I think that like, was probably, if oh they were, it'd be funny if they actually had sheet music in there. Like, they must have. And it was, it was, that was very surreal for me. That's so funny. What, it, what, some, it, it, can you talk about what the song's about? Do you talk about what the song's about? Um... I, I haven't really talked about it before. You know, um, when we first started um, really hitting the road a lot, I was exposed to parts of the country that I really hadn't been in before. I'd never been to the Midwest before. I hadn't really traveled that much in the States. And he's a Midwest guy. Um, you know, he, he was born in Ohio. And he... True. Yeah? Yeah. Lived in Indiana. And he lived in Indiana. And went, lived Near in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. And um, and so I w- I w- we were traveling a lot, and, and I would um, I was really affected by geography and um and i was feeling like um feeling the weight of emotional ecological issues that greed kind of um is the tragedy of our country that we know we know what our hold up that's his lady we know what our our problems are we know what we know what our problems are but we we choose not to fix them you know, and that was my my feelings that we can identify almost any problem that we have in this country, and we just choose not to fix it. You know, and so it's it a lot of kind of there's a lot of stream of conscience in there, but like get off of my side. It's like it's saying you know I'm gonna just take care of myself, and you know Lake Michigan is kind of this to me this kind of uh, iconic body of water, and it's everyone lives in this country knows Lake Michigan, and. Um, we're poisoning our water. We're poisoning our planet, and we care more about ourselves, you know, short term than doing anything about it, you know. And so it's kind of, um, it's sort of esoteric, I know, in a lot of ways. But fundamentally, the song is about just being really selfish and deciding just to take care of yourself instead of uh, uh, the, seeing the larger picture. So do you have to? First of all, I yeah. think it's really funny for you when you start to go. Yeah, you know, there's this really fit, this thing about nature and ecology and... I know, like, I know. Like, Allow perfect. me to take this, <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> yeah. really Buy, sell, sell, yeah. sell. Buy. But do you... Um, <laughs> do you... W- w- when you're sort of... Uh, uh, w- when you, when you kind of have that moment, that emotional moment, where you experience this thing and it strikes you, do you immediately have to start writing the song or does it kind of sit and percolate for a while? Well, it's changed. Uh, it used to be in the beginning that it had to kind of sit and percolate for a while because I had no real means really to record it. But, you know, when iPhone, the, the mm-hmm. voice memo app came yeah. out, that's totally changed things for me. I can all, if no matter where I am, phone here, if I'm at an amusement park and there are these bells ringing, you know, I can record it or any kind of melodic idea. If something is, if I'm trying to work out a melody or work out structure or anything on a song, I can always go to the voice uh, memo app and I was actually talking to Dave uh, Zahn about that when we saw him and the thing that's really strange about it is I kind of do it all the time with, whether it's on guitar at home or just and what, it, what's funny is that I do it a lot and then I forget about it because it's recorded so I don't have to think yeah. about it anymore and, do you uh, label them? no and then I just go back sometimes when I'm, when I'm driving I'll like play and listen to them just to kind of try and remember 
so I can piece them together and make songs out of them. And I feel like I'm sort of like stealing from someone. I'm like, God, who came up with this? I'll, I'll take that, you know? And it's really funny, but it's, it's amazing. It's really, it's allowed me to write more music because I can remember more things. And then sometimes I'll take disparate things. Like I'll take that thing and then I'll, from, that I did six months ago and this thing. And then, or even I'll review the, the, the notes that I took and it'll, then it'll make me think of other things. And it just, it's kind of allowed a lot more ideas to kind of bloom um, where I wouldn't be able to do it before. Well, some of the, some of the um, particularly in Lake Michigan, uh, your songs kind of turn in places where you go, oh, where did he think to go that way? Mm. You know, like when you go into, uh, when you go into the chorus of Lake Michigan, mm-hmm, it just, mm-hmm. da 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 Like, it just, it's just like a dip. Oh, yeah. Like, where, where does, where, how, where, is it something that you're influenced by, or is it just like, nah, it's just how your brain works? Uh, I, I don't know. I think sometimes it's, maybe lack of musical education where maybe things are supposed to go in a certain way and I you know I don't I don't have any I mean he studied music you know but, you know but I I didn't and so um and actually what it comes down to is sometimes I'll like what someone else did in a song you know like happiness is a warm gun you know it's just like it's just chopped up things pushed together and that's what's so neat about it is it just turns on a dime yeah and I like how it did that and so I imagine maybe I was thinking well Instead of doing like a pre-chorus and building into the chorus, what if it just, it actually, it was integrated into it, you know, it just dovetails into the chorus, that way you can't even think about it, you're already there, you know, so I probably just borrowed, I stole. That's a really funny, that's interesting to hear you say that because... Ben Bridwell from Band of Horses said that pretty much the same thing to me when they were oh. like, which was like, he was like, well, I had no musical training, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do this or this or this, or not that you shouldn't be trained if you want to be trained but I think it at least that it I think if you are trained at least be able to you know kind of have the freedom to go like no it's okay to break structure sometimes or pull from other things I think it's hard to though it comes from also what you listen to like if you're not if you didn't go to school and learn like oh you have to resolve it and whatever you bands you listen to probably did that too you, you mentioned that Beatles song Mm-hmm. If you love the Beatles or R.E.M. or all the bands that you listed in the ad that he put out when I joined the band. Anyway, all, <laughs> the these bands are all too. like, they're all, they all do really interesting stuff. And if that's your education, is, is learning from other bands. And it's like, the, I'm kind of thinking of the Beatles. They didn't have any proper education. But George Martin definitely did. And he, was, he helped to whip things that they were doing into shape. Because they had all kinds, you used all kinds of weird chords and strange harmonies and and they were just it's just because of what they were into well you know I think that's one reason why we work as a collaborative pair in the studio because he has the patience of Job because I will come in as Gob Michael no um, but uh, so good what's what's nice is that I will take I'll demo something and it's really out of whack rhythmically it doesn't really always make sense because I'll I'll be playing something with the guitar but it's not only only when we start bringing in drums do I realize that it doesn't really make sense rhythmically instead of him trying to correct it he actually goes with it you know so the, something that doesn't make because I'm I'm working by myself when I'm starting and then I bring it to him and he doesn't try to refine it he tries to just if it's a strange kind of time signature he just lets it stay that way and you know and so Doing drums after the fact kind of, I think, helps us in not necessarily having it sound like a standard thing, I think. You know, yeah. That's how we worked on this new record. We 
you laid just about everything down and I would go do drums and just make them fit and hammer them into the song mm-hmm. a lot of times. Yeah. So, so the trick is to have a Pat who knows. Yeah, if you want to have a good band, have Pat be in it and you are set. <laughs> a guy who really understands structure and music theory. And, yeah. You know. But actually, uh, we, have, we just put out this new record and there's a song called College, which is, was the first single we put out. And it was exact, exactly like that where I was working on it by myself and it kind of had an intro-y thing and had kind of a, a, a long ending. And instead of trying to kind of have it have more of a standard beginning and a standard resolution, we decided just to keep it that way. So it's kind of counterintuitive in terms of being a song and certainly a single, but I kind of like that it just it just emerges in this way where it kind of sounds like we're not sure where it's going. And actually, we were, John Congleton produced it with us, and he's great. But he was saying, you know, it sounds like you're unsure of yourself a little bit when the song is starting. Do you want to do that? And I was like... Yeah, I do. You know, I, I want to sound like you don't really know when it's beginning yet, and and you don't really know when it's going to end, and that kind of made when it When we fun were working for me. on that, it started with you doing guitar, and I just did that rim thing just to, just to oh. keep time. Yeah. And it, that's and and but we to to go back a little bit, we always talk about wanting to keep mistakes. Like, what would music be without mistakes? What would the Rolling Stones be, especially without mistakes? And we always wanted to keep mistakes and and little things as long as it wasn't a total train wreck right keep it together to keep that's the music that's that's the, the soul of the band and so i think we actually did that this time around we actually did those things we wanted to do yeah. don't think that your will arnett impersonation escaped my attention <laughs> ago when he said god and you said michael yeah <laughs> yeah i love the one where he's like he's trying to figure out uh, like who this hermano is you know this guy she's interested in you know um, so. You could probably. I find that I can do the best Will Arnett after I've done a long show. Oh yeah, because like, you got nothing left. Yeah, you're, you're nothing it's left. You're shredding. It's all that yeah. piece, Mike. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been uh, talking at Comic Con all like for four days straight. So you got oh. your Will Arnett voice. You're right close. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the it's the it is the end result of like hours of panels and podcasts and um, and, and yelling over bar, at, a, at, a, at an event, you know, how's going? That's great! Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I realize, you know, I wake up after a show a lot of times, I got, I've got nothing. I have no voice. And I realize it's not even from performing. It's for afterwards when we're just chatting. like chatting yeah. with everyone and, and it's loud. Like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. You know, yeah. wonder why I can't speak the next Because you see, yeah, everyone, I, you know, most people, most people, don't, most people use your voice, they use their voice wrong. You're not, like, they force air out. I, I do it, which is why my voice always blows out because you're like, <laughs> you're not most supposed to. Most people don't scream their conversation. Yeah. They usually no. have like this. It's very civil. Yeah. But if there was a whole <laughs> crowd and a band in this room right now, we would be done. You know? Yeah. That does amaze me, though, when you go to a show sometimes and someone wants to tell you something that occurred to them while the band is playing. And so they tell you. And then you realize later, wow, that person was screaming in my ear as loud as they could. To, and you wouldn't normally do about that. About something that was really probably not that important. Yeah. About, yeah. And that your ears are crying. And you're, as the night fear, goes on. you're rattling your eardrums. Like, Sometimes you know. it hurts. And you plug your ear and then have them yell. And then, okay, that's yeah, better. It takes it. But you're, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty set. I mean, your singing voice is very similar to your talking voice. Is it? It's, to me, it sounds like I can totally, when you talk, I can hear like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely Zach. That's the yeah. guy. Like, that's the voice. Um, well, that's bad because I've heard my voice on like, voicemail messages before and I, I 
I cringe. You I don't like I, it? I think everyone does that, but I really, I, I can't stand it. <laughs> I like, oh man. So I feel like, oh man, I don't want to sound like that. But it's it, it's <laughs> it's a register that it doesn't. It, do you do you, does your voice strain when you're on stage? Do you strain at all ever? Um, I I try to get better at not doing that, and I I found that. Um, when I do strain, my voice gets more shrill, which is, I don't think, very pleasing. Uh, so um, I, I found that by trying to learn more about how monitors work and how to really use them and not put too much through the monitor so I can get a clearer vocal, um, it's, I think I do a better job of that. Yeah. And just generally how to use a mic properly instead of when, I'm, when I really want to have a, a really loud note kind of moving back and just how to have your head close to the mic properly. And I'm trying to get better at that, you know. But um, I still overdo it because you can think, you know, you can have all your technique down all you want, but it's the if the, if there's emotion at the show for, you know, we're a lot of times singing about stuff that I feel deeply. And, and if you, when people are giving you energy back, it's kind of like, you know, you did, I kind of overdo it. Something. You did come up with some creative lyrics in L.A. last night. You were definitely feeling I, I, met, some I forgot moments. a lot of Yeah, I know. I did that. <laughs> I, I know. There might have been an F word in there. What happened? Oh, what did, yeah. did you do? Oh, no, I changed. Yeah, I decided. I threw in some F-bombs. And so, yeah. fuck California. Yeah, I, may, I may have said that at a certain point. Yeah. Fuck Michigan. Um, no, but there are, there are moments, a lot of times, there are a lot of times when I'm in the middle of a song, like, Wow, I just I just sang the second verse first, and then I I'm like, should I sing the second verse the second time, or should I reverse them? But if we're harmonizing together, then I can't exactly. It's really I tough can't tell them. Yeah, I've got headphones, so I got just vocals piped in, so I can really hear it. And sometimes trying to follow where he's going, if he's getting creative, I'm like, well. Yeah, sometimes I just turn around and I'm like, sorry. I, I just, you know, it's I, harder, I, but it's harder for you guys because it's the heat of the moment. We did uh, we podcasted Metallica at Comic Con, and. Um, the, James Hetfield said, oh, "Oh, yeah, I got a word wedge because I don't remember. You know, he's like he, for, you know, like he forgets oh, yeah. something. He said so many songs. Yeah, go, all, yeah, yeah. But this is the thing: if you're Metallica, you can kind of go. You know, yeah, you but, can cheat. But with time. your but with your music, like you know, you, the lyrics are very articulate. And so if you fuck them up, I mean, I guess in a live venue, people are, you know, in the moment, maybe they don't, they don't notice, but well, I have seen that happen for Lake Michigan. I know. They'll say, I'd be like, I don't know, but I, I have noticed sometimes where I've completely sang the wrong words and I've seen people going like, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> They're you paying didn't attention. Do that. Yeah. It's wrong. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. I didn't. I just forget sometimes, yeah. you know. Well, because uh, you, uh. I think you can sort of get into a habit. And this happens with jokes too, where you can get into a pattern where it's on. It's it's such a. Um, it, it's it just comes out. You don't even think about it, and then every once in a while you'll kind of go, "Huh, what if I thought about that?" Oh shit, I can't remember it because it's almost like you're. It's in a different part of your brain. It's in a different chamber of your brain, and when you think about it, you can't. You couldn't repeat it. Yeah, and that's why. It's very hard for me a lot of times sound checking or doing certain things we do um, like promo, like radio promo or something, yeah. something like that because it's divorced from the actual show. Because when we're playing and it's like a real show, you're in a different yeah, you're in a different emotional state where you feel you feel the weight of the moment. And if you don't feel if you're just sound checking, you're like, well it's a sound check. You know, <laughs> so I'm not in that place and I can't really I don't I'm not a trained singer. So if there isn't the emotional component there, then it feels like I can't really go through the motions very effectively because it feels fraudulent, you know? So in a soundtrack, I'll be like, ah, I'm kind of doing it, but... Not I have really. a question. Was that Lake Michigan recorded? Yes. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. I did some. I was just some some jazzing. Well, that's also a chance because we do songs every every night, pretty much the same way. It gives you a chance to get jazzy because it's not for anybody; it's for you, and you're just checking and warming up and playing. So, yeah, you were trying a Nurse Nation. You were really kind of. I was doing some. uh, It's the place to do it. Yeah, you're fucking around. Who is playing around? Yeah, you're playing some hip hop. Is there any um, hip hop jams? Can you, you know, if you're on stage, if you're not feeling it for whatever, you know, sometimes, you know, energy just doesn't feel right, like it's connecting. Do you have a trick to kind of get back in, or do you, is the trick just to sort of let it be what it is and... Whiskey. (laughs) The trick is whiskey. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know. You know, we we didn't really tour for about three years. We just started up again, and part of this process of of playing again is kind of trying to uh, remember how to read a room, or try to know how to read a room... Um, sometimes I think I really can other times I'm like I or or I'm wondering in the middle of a song is the energy lost or are we moving you know and kind of an awareness of how people are collectively feeling um, I've been trying to get back into that and I found sometimes uh, if I feel like it's a little dead I try and play a little quieter sometimes and see if the quieter if it's a quiet song that we get quieter that yeah. they'll stop you know but you know what's funny, and I don't know if you experience this when you're performing, but in the age of phones, you know, I don't, I remember one time we did this thing, uh, we did a promo thing that's like ad agency, which always feels like awful. <laughs> like the, pr- the principal is like we asking you. We just did that one important yeah. that was pretty awful. Yeah, but we, but we did, and, and I noticed there were like some people are just like, you know, just on their phones like this. And I mentioned something, you know, during it, I was like, wow, that's that's not very nice you know it's kind of rude but I realized that some people were actually some people there they were so excited they wanted people to know that they were there and they were like posting on Twitter or whatever like they were glad they were saying the songs that were being played they were saying this you know Rogue was playing in my office arena the singer just called me out yeah gotta go yeah (laughs) what a dick (laughs) actually we were uh, we were in Pittsburgh recently and this one dude wanted to film this song and he had this flash on and it was so bright. It was like the sun was searing my eyes. It was so bright. And uh, and in the middle of the song, I just I just walked up to him and I just took his phone <laughs> and I and I, I, I turned it off Pittsburgh. and I gave back to him Pittsburgh and he. I felt bad for him because everyone kind of was mad at him. You know, at that as point. a rock but band, I, I was like, you, you could have grabbed that off. thing and just smashed into a million pieces and then gone back into the riff, and then I, I think everyone would have been happy. Yeah, I, I, I felt. I bad. think, um, but I don't know if that affects you when you're performing. If you see people, that's an expensive you know. flashlight. Yeah. Well, I just, I think sometimes you know, if you can mistake people listening for people not, you know, and they're like, oh, no, we were listening, mm-hmm. you know, or but I do think that an audience needs to understand that it just has. I think there's a 10% responsibility that the audience has, which is to be willing to be engaged in the show. Mm. Now, it's your responsibility as a performer to take that and build off it, but I do think the audience needs to come in a little bit willing. It can't be like, win me over, you know? Like, they have to make just a a tiny hair of an effort Mm -hmm. to sort of form this relationship that you have as the performer and the audience. And if they don't do that, sometimes... Sometimes audiences are just bad together. Like you'll get yeah. a specific group of people; it's just not a good audience again. You, you, you hear comics say to them, like, "If you ever get an opportunity to be an audience together again, don't do it." Yeah, that was we'll call that <laughs> Toronto. Can you? But what's that? funny is that was always us for LA. Anytime we'd go to LA, I always felt like it was just like, uh, you know, yeah, we win me over. But now when we go there, it's really great. So, so I don't know what changed. What's going to be like in 
I don't know how many years, when everyone is so used to multitasking and social networking is just everything that you do. And someone comes to a show, you just go look out at the audience, it's all going to be this, because they're like telling their time. I am enjoying yeah. the show. I'm relating to this right now. I'm relating to this show. Or yeah. taking pictures or film or even who knows what it's going to be, but eventually that's all people are going to know. Yeah. Is my audience does this, and, and you know, it's going to be strange. Yeah. It is getting strange. Well, it's it definitely is, you know, I think it is our responsibility as performers to keep trying to engage the audience as much as possible. And when you have a bad show, you know, you can, I think you... Don't you think you could have a good show by by another person's perspective, but you kind of go, ah, I didn't really do what I wanted to do, and so you've taken it as a loss, even though yeah. the crowd might have really kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I think the better we feel about shows as a tour goes on, the more I tend to analyze it, and so little things that will I'll feel like we didn't do it the way we wanted to, I will obsess about that, and then I'll feel like we failed. But then, but maybe, maybe, maybe we did. Well, and you can also have a, I think you can also have a show that, where you didn't connect with the audience at all, but you guys did everything you wanted to do. And then you yeah. feel good about it. You feel yourself. good about it, yeah. Or, you know what's funny about it is we can have a show where I, I, I'm just a series of fuck-ups. Everything I do, my voice will crack, I'll editing's out of tune, all these strange things happen, people love it, and it's, they like the mistakes, and then I could play a show where I think it was like flawless, like I sang really well and everything went right and it's like nothing. But like, so what do I learn from that? Well, I, I need to make more, you know. No, I'll, so tell you, I'll tell you what I think it is. Know? I'll tell you what I think it is, Humanity. which is that I think as a culture, we're not impressed by perfection anymore because mm-hmm. it can be faked. Yeah. Like perfection, you know, like perfection, things can be auto-tuned, things can be, mm-hmm. things can be down to just the molecule perfected. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are bored with it. And so when... When there are mistakes and when there are flaws, that's organic and that's an experience that we're all having together. That's and a that person. makes that makes it special and unique well, and it, it's very humanizing. It, 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 it yeah. bonds though, th- those people who come together. Like you remember when we saw Rogue Wave or whatever band, and like I saw I saw Not a Surf uh, a year and a half ago, and Daniel, the bass player, his ba- bass broke down and the show was just paused. But they did all these like oddball songs they never do Matthew and, and uh, you know and Ira did these songs while somebody left the Fillmore and went and got a bass out of her apartment and brought it in and gave it to him that was just a, an amazing show because this event happened they were forced to be they were forced to be creative were yeah. forced to kind of think outside the normal routine yeah. which well, is good and that was Philly we were our keyboard player something went wrong everything broke in his keys and I didn't know what to do because he had to fix it, you know. And he couldn't. We couldn't be playing with him, like you know, try, you know. So I was like, okay, How about this? Yeah. like, oh man, I was like, shit, what are we gonna do? It's like Scotty do? and the engineer. Yeah. Oh, I'm working on it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, put on your mining light, you know, on your forehead and fix it. And so I didn't know what to do. So I didn't have my acoustic guitar because I'd left it. It was somewhere else. And so I just grabbed this hollow body electric and it was unplugged. And I was like, all right. And I just sat at the edge of the stage. And played that song California. Yeah, it wasn't even plugged in. I, I didn't grab a mic, but and that that was a pretty big room. What was that room? What was that place in Philly called Union uh, Union, Transfer. Union Transfer? Yeah, and so and and that was what everyone was writing about was that 
part of the show. So nothing we rehearsed. Not you know that was the thing they wanted to talk about because it was kind of it was kind of crazy because I, I had to kind of yell it to the entire room. So they, the they said the people in the back room said they could hear that guitar just like the hollow body just nothing plugged in. You know so we need to go of, work on our mistakes real soon. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to get out of here because you have your show starting soon. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to try to bring it full circle with like what's going to keep people engaged with live shows when they're multitasking. Yeah. And it's gonna be. Kiss. I knew it! I knew it! I it's knew it! Blood and fire and explosions. Now, did Journey ever do that? I don't know. It was just tight pants and a leather jacket Dude, and white tennis shoes. All I know is the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. They were does, Journey was too was busy was... writing good songs to try to pull it Like, we'll write melodies and see what happens. Course, here's what happened at a Kiss concert. Oh my god, I can't believe I just got blood spat on me. Yeah. This is so cool. Yeah, Journey Duck, I had this amazing emotional moment. <laughs> everyone's still going to be texting. Basically, we just live in an age where people want to share their experiences. And they have a good time. They just want everyone to know. But then they want to share experiences so much they're not actually having the experiences. <laughs> I know. Parents are always when like, they're like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like that at Comic-Con, just fucking taking pictures of everything and tweeting everything. It's like, no, 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 stop and experience the thing. Then maybe you can share with people or don't so that it's just your experience. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep it keep it that way. But you See guys, um, fantastic. the album's called Nightingale Floors. Yeah. Uh, and it just came out in June. And, um, you know, I, but I I recommend if you have not heard of Rogue Wave, uh, Descended Like Vultures, Sleep at Heaven's Gate. Like, all, you're, I'm such a huge fan. And thank you for allowing me to gush on you. And thank, thank you, you for it's letting us record you. your you. uh, sound check and then come back into the a train yard. Yeah. And who's rehearsing right now? Uh, they're called Hey Marseille. They're cool. from Seattle. Cool. And uh, they, I feel bad. There's a, they're a seven-piece band, and oh, all of our crap is on the Like they, it, they are pushed against the monitors because they have so many I people. I think that helps keep you when you're in tight quarters like that. You play better because you yeah. just you're with your guys or girls yeah. or whatever. If your just, elbows are touching. You're. I just think that makes it much much like we have a if our stage is huge, we'll still set up really small because he likes to have my bass drum bass drum all up in his. Yeah, back grills. Yeah, it makes more sense when I can hear the cymbals and drums right behind me. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so are, are you guys Rogue Wave on Twitter? On Twitter, Rogue Wave Band. Rogue Wave Band. Yeah. All one word. Uh, yeah, and uh, is, Ro- is Rogue Wave actually like an oceanography institute that studies like actual Rogue Waves? Yeah, there's that, and there's a software company. Yeah, and there, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there. But yeah, Rogue Wave Band. Cool. And I think it's Rogue Wave Music. Our website is Rogue Wave Music, but yeah, Twitter and uh, Instagram is Rogue Wave Band. Excellent. Cool. Thank. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank Hi, you. Pleasure. Mine. Yeah. Good to see you guys. You. Yeah. Enjoy Thanks. the burrito, everyone. Thanks. I'll, I want to thank you. Um, I know Orphan Black because of you. Oh, you had Tatiana. Is that her name? Yeah, Tatiana Mazzani. What an amazing actor! She is incredible on that show. Yes, yeah. I am blown away by that show. A lot of she people have been talking anything. about that show lately, and it's it, good. It just sort of like, I think you know, after the season played out, a bunch of people were like, "Holy shit!" And they really, you know, uh, Orphan Black has really become a show, which I'm so happy for BBC America. Yeah. Well, I I saw. I think it was the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw she was a guest, and I was like, who is this person? I don't know this show. And so my wife and I started watching it right then, and we we're just we're into it. It's great. That's awesome. And also, uh, the Rob Zombie, uh, the last one you did with yeah. him. I love Rob Zombie. Was, I didn't know you guys were friends. Yeah. About that. And uh, 
I have this kind of weird obsession with him. I'm just he drawn to his. Zombie for Halloween when you. I did. <laughs> oh, that's I did dress awesome. as Rob once. It was really <laughs> awesome. But anyway, I really like the hellbilly Rob Zombie or like the old the Dracula Rob Zombie. Like which which the, Rob the Zombie? The old the old older Rob Zombie. And I yeah. had I had uh, dreads and I I I looked pretty good actually when I did that. <laughs> but um, but anyway, Dude, I really enjoyed that. I was it's such a great conversation. I love hearing. I like hearing how you guys talk about art and motivation and and being true to yourself and um but both how you guys were talking about each other and it was just um it was really a nice conversation i, really I appreciate that i love that i listen to your podcast all the time oh thanks man, I, it, man. i'm honored all and and all, and now i think we have yeah, to oh and i'm going to present you with t-shirts oh yeah, yeah. Stack, I t-shirts. Know you can't um, wear them all at the same time and cool. uh, <laughs> the stack you gave him a stack. <laughs> I gave him a stack. <laughs> yeah. And now, of course, yeah. you guys have to cover Dracula in one of your next shows. I know. Okay, we got to figure that. How out. would you? How would you? How would you, you cover Dracula? Well, you know, we've actually been doing a bunch of covers lately, uh, a bunch of '80s covers, and um, I don't know. We'll have to go back to our lab at home and figure that out. Yeah. Maybe I, acoustic. It would almost, you know, dig through the ditches. <laughs> <laughs> Burn through the witches. Like, you could almost yeah, throw it in make it our own. Yeah, I've never tried that before. Well, we do that with covers anyway. We try to do something completely. We're, we're, we do a cover of a Screaming Trees song. I nearly lost. Oh, it's, it's one of my favorite. I fucking love Screaming Trees. Oh, may, maybe we'll do, do that to tonight. Do that. We'll do that. We should have done did it at. We South played Shack. it last night. Um, you know, what we do a lot of times. You know that South Park episode. You know, they took our job. They took our job. We, we sing, sing that into every song when we're when we're riding in our van. <laughs> we take that into every. We took it. It goes into every song. But I love in that episode when they go so overboard. It's like. There's no words. But you can you can put that. You can sing about how they're taking your their jobs in every song. Thank you so much. Of course, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a good show. And yeah, and hopefully. To go to Comic-Con Are you going to be at the show? I can't. I have to get back. We're flying. I'm flying to Montreal tomorrow morning from Good. San Diego, so I have to get back to this. Comic Con has been a fucking blur. If, if you guys were any closer than Solana Beach, I would have. It's I, far. It's from, yeah, yeah. It's it's about it's twenty. Traffic. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I wanted. It is to be at that. It's, thing. We're staying. I'm staying in LA tonight because I don't oh, want to deal with yeah, San Diego. We have we have stuff in. In LA tomorrow, so I'm just gonna. I, I'm kind of heartbroken that I can't stay for the show because that was the one thing. Where, oh, it'll be perfect. Go podcast. I'll stay for the show. That's it. And then I found out, like, yeah, I mean, like our fucking hotel room from my girlfriend and I. It's just because you're running in, like, give me this. It's like a fucking tornado. Yes, there's just <laughs> shit everywhere, and we never let housekeeping come in this trip because oh, it's like I don't want them to organize anything. I need everything's out where I need it. Yeah, I don't like housekeeping coming in. I like keeping my room. I don't like other meddling folks. Maybe help help explain this. Why does why do housekeepers come in and they accentuate keeping housekeeping? Yeah, what is that? I don't know. That's a weird housekeeping because you're not in your house, right? And housekeeping. Maybe they feel a subtle amount of guilt that you're not in your house. It's almost like housekeeping. (laughs) It is a little bit of a weird. I'm here to clean your room. Whoa. Sorry, mommy, to fluff pillow. <laughs> uh, well, I hope I hope to go to uh, Comic Con. I've never. Uh, you gone should. Before. It is. A, it is a go. wonderful experience, and the vibe. Just for being someone who seems very sincere and and, and celebratory, and it, it is totally in your wheelhouse. So uh, maybe 
you know, maybe if anyone's listening to this podcast and you work for a company and you want to bring Road Wave to play at Comic Con, a Comic Con oh party next God. year, that's what you guys should kind of look into. Because yeah. uh, Kirkman hired uh, Weezer to play the Walking Dead party, oh, so and it was fucking fun. great. Yeah, and they awesome. played everything you wanted to hear. Oh yeah. So awesome. I, I feel like a Road Wave uh, could make an appearance at Comic Con next for year. For a while, between tours, I worked at Image Comics in Berkeley. Oh shit! And I got to meet Robert Kirkman because he, he came around and took us all out to lunch. Yeah. And. Uh, and so, but my job was shelving and, uh, and categorizing comic books. So oh, I was wow. sat in a room with stacks of comics and just be like reading by myself with a, with like a CD player and just like yeah, just. And but Walking Dead is something I just kept up on and love. Yeah, I downloaded issue one twelve, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet because I haven't had a moment <laughs> at the con. But uh, it's the a con. con. It's good. The con. <laughs> Hope to see you there next year. Yeah, cool. I'd love to go. I really want to go. So. Cool. Cool. Thanks, guys.
is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.